In this podcast, Pamela Barty, a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and developer of a $100 million real estate empire, will share her inspiring underdog comeback story. And along with those of her guests, she'll share how you too, as an underdog, can rise up and succeed against all odds. Here's your host, Pamela Barty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Underdog. I have an amazing guest here with me, Lisa. Lisa, how are you? I am great, Pam. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here, Lisa. It is truly a gift and an honor. I mean, you are just a rock star of all trades. Speaker, author, coach, entrepreneur, just like such beautiful spirit too. Like I'm just pumped to get into your story today. Thank you again for being here. I'm excited. Thank you. (laughs) So I always start with the most loaded question of probably all time. You know, what inspired you on your journey to where you are today? Well, it's a kind of a loaded answer, actually, in the sense that my my inspiration came on the morning of 9-11 when my husband was killed in the North Tower of the World Trade Centers. So in that magnificent, if you will, just this that, that enormous moment, it completely shifted me and put me on a trajectory for a completely new experience. And ultimately the experience of what is now known as PTG or post-traumatic growth but that's only come up, that acronym has only come up in the last few years. But what that is actually what's available to all of us uh, if you choose to look at the other side of your traumatic or your difficult experiences. Mm, PTG. Post-traumatic oh. growth. Post-traumatic growth. So you hear post-traumatic uh, traumatic stress syndrome, PTSD, yeah. Yeah. disorder, whatever. Um, this is the other piece of it. This is the other side of it. So in other words, we have to, and, and I don't know where you want to jump in on this. And we talked earlier, you know, we can go a lot of different directions, but if a lot of your listeners are in the millennial generation or younger, or just a little older, we really should talk about this because this is how we can go into the future and actually shift yeah. to see our life in different perspective from a different perspective and learn from it and really move forward from it. Well, amen to that, because I, I've never heard of something actually being a growth that sounds positive and that sounds mm-hmm. like my vibe. <laughs> what is that all about? Because I've ne- I've truly never heard of it until right now. Wow. See, that's what I mean. It's still pretty new. And I'm I'm super, you know, super tuned into this stuff. So for the past 20 years, all I have done is study from the micro to the macro perspective of my own life and our life as a culture and our global world and what that looks like and, and looking at it more like as a game board and the strategic game that we are playing. And that came from literally taking my life when my husband died, realizing that as a warrior that I am, but I'm not a, I mean, I'm, I'm a type A, I'm a Virgo. I'm, you know, I'm going to, I'm not going to lay down, but as a warrior of love in the moments, like literally within days of 9-11, I had this unbelievable power, if you will, come up from within me. And, and in that power, it was like this, this warrior of love. And when I say that, I mean, I realized in that moment, there was no way I could let my husband, Teddy, and all the others die in vain, that I had to make something good come from this or, or the terrorists were gonna win. And that was completely unacceptable to me. Wow. But in the next breath, I went like, how do I do that? Well, what I was pulled to do and completely guided to do was 
take my life to the analyst couch to figure out the why of everything. And that is what I've done. So post-traumatic growth has come from that study. And we can all do that. And we can talk about this for yourself and your listeners today and just how to reframe their lives to literally start moving in a different direction like now in this moment. What I adore about what you just mentioned is um, a lot of people would be shattered in that moment. And my absolute condolences, by the way, because I know, I mean, I can only imagine what that was like for you, but to take it on such a positive note and say how, you know, I'm not going to let them die in vain. How am I going to make this actually something positive? How do I grow from this? That takes a lot of spiritual power, like you said, unlike any other that I've ever heard you know, to, to be able to have the strength to even say that, because most people would just be broken. They would shut down. That's it. Right. But you within a matter of days did the exact opposite, which I find absolutely remarkable. So if you could dive into that a little bit, that would be incredible, especially since this is something new that I'm hearing for the first time. And it could really be impactful for people experiencing trauma, especially at that level. Well, Pam, there's no coincidences in this life. And I need to backstore, you know, kind of backfill this with basically now in retrospect, I know I was being guided by the universe from the moment it happened, but I didn't know it then. I didn't know it for many years. I didn't really know it until about 2014. And there's a story as to why, but my moments of, from that morning on, I was prepared for 9-11 in this really bizarre way so that when my husband died, I was actually ready for it. So that's why there's a book (laughs) because there's such a long story that goes with this because Part of what I learned through this process on a, on a more esoteric note is your life is always preparing you for the next thing in your life. So I can tell you that very specifically through my story, which was Teddy walked down from this 105th floor where he'd worked for 10 years in 1993 in the first bombing that everyone basically disregarded. And two months later, we moved back in and you know brushed ourselves off and went on and never thought about it. I got really, really angry about at the terrorists. I really had an adverse effect from that about six months later, like a delayed response. That happened. So I already dealt with terrorism. I'd already dealt with him, his life being potentially taken in that way, which is just bizarre. But again, nobody in our culture paid, gave it two seconds of time. And then, so I found that very strange. And then my mother-in-law, Ted's mother, was a very troubled lady and she liked to give me some trouble. And told me basically he was gonna drop dead of a heart attack every time I saw her for the 11 years we were married. Because while he was stressed out, he was 40 years old. We just had another baby. I had a four month old, a four year old and a seven year old, but I was 41. So I was an older mother, but you know, he was a walking heart attack. So what did I do? I literally played out his death over and over and over in my mind so much. So it made me insane. And I would actually lay at night and weep at the idea of it. And here's the epitaph of that story. We have such powerful minds. We have such powerful imaginations that we can get ourselves just as torqued over the idea of an event as the event itself. But what we never see in our mo in that moment of panic, in that worry, in that rumination, which by the way, we are now living in dimensionally bigger with COVID, right? So what we don't realize is that every time there's a traumatic event in our world, in our lives, it's always flanked by the magnanimous aspect of the human spirit. In other words, people show up for you. Hmm. People shower you with kindness if you allow them to. So there's a big discussion in this and why I'm so interested in speaking to you and your 
your compadres here is that I don't think that there's a lot of wisdom being shared with you guys. I don't think you're getting a lot of guidance into how to move forward into this crazy world we're in, but I promise you it's available. Like that's all I care about is getting you guys to say like, wait a minute, okay, here's 9-11 and I could have been victimized by it. And we all were, you know, it hurt for everyone. But here we are 20 years later, what have we learned from that? What do we learn? Are we still pointing the finger and blaming? Our answer is, yeah, we are. And until we shift to see 9-11 in a different way, in a new light, in a different perspective, we're not going to be able to get unstuck or loosen that very tightly constricted knot that we find ourselves in where there's no circulation. So the way you do it is say this, instead of why is this happening to me? Ow, 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 I'm in defensive posture. I'm on my back foot. What do I do? You lean in and say, wait a minute, why is this happening for me? What am I being shown? Mm -hmm. What am I supposed to learn here? Because here's the joke. This is what I didn't know and I want to share with everybody is we're actually here to struggle. We're not here to be happy. Happiness comes in between the struggles when you've achieved, when you've moved through them and you've succeeded and you've survived, but not only survived, and this is the ultimate goal, it's to serve, thrive. So if you go through your events, right, here's, here I am. I didn't know what I was doing, but I just moved forward because I was being pulled by intuition. I was trusting myself. I wasn't looking outside myself for validation because let me tell you something, no one knew what to do. The world had completely shifted on its axis and you know, literally leadership, there was no leadership because our country is so young. It's only 250 or 400 years old. We are adolescent in comparison to the other cultures we deal with. And what happens to an adolescent when, it, when they get hurt or hit? They react. So we have been reacting as a culture from leadership down for 20 years and even the years before it, but really for 20 years. Wow. And what would be the steps, you know, like to create actionable steps to actually yeah. make that happen, which will then turn into hopefully habits. You know, it's almost like yeah. pro- reprogramming the mind a little bit. Well, it's just, so here's the thing. It's just kind of sharing wisdom with you guys. Like, this is what I learned. No one taught me this from my, like, you're not, here's a, I don't know if it's a sad truth. It's just a reality. This information is not coming from your grandparents. It's not coming from your parents. You're going to learn it in the moment right now, because this is where the culture is shifting to and more and more enlightened conversations are happening. So this is really about enlightenment. This is really about waking up. This is really about the universe shifting and showing us a new way so that all the old systems have to break for the new ones to come in and restructure. So if you look at 9-11, it was really more of a birth canal to a new order, if you want to back it up a little bit. So actionable steps are the next time something happens to you or that boyfriend breaks up with you or that girlfriend or whatever, you say, wait a minute, you know, why did that happen for me? Like, what did I do in that situation? What was my role? When I spoke and we had that conversation, did I think about what I was saying? And how it was going to land on her? Right. How it was going to land on him? Did I consider his position? Am I making assumptions that I know without asking? Right. That's available right now. Right. And compassion and understanding the other person. I mean, that's that's huge. And understanding that people can't, or we're not, this is, Pam, this is one of the things that is really so obvious, but, but so obtuse until you see it, is that no one's like you. No one sees things. Nobody sees things. I thought everybody saw things the way I saw them for the longest time. And the truth is that couldn't be more opposite. Right. You have your lens and you have your, your experiences behind it. That's going to show that's going to, you're going to garner the information out of an event based on your historic experiences, right. which is why 
when you look at your life happening and preparing you for the next thing, look at how my life prepared me to handle 9-11. So here I had terrorism and then he was going to die. And what happened? We had terrorism and he died. So it's almost like I was literally by 11 o'clock in the morning, I was fine because I'd already been through it all in my head. Wow. So if you take that, dip those difficult things, when you get fired, you know, nothing, there's no failure in anything. That's another piece that's really important. Every time something ends, it's an opportunity for a redirection. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. Easy to say, not necessarily so easy to do, but that's when you start to really question. And so if we want to move forward in our world in a healthier way as you guys. So if you look at the last 20 years being bookended, literally bookended by two massive, unprecedented collective traumas that functionally changed the worlds forever, 9-11 mm. and COVID. In between, we had what? Countless numbers of natural man-made disasters, like mother nature, and then man-made disasters. And we're still literally on that back foot, on that defensive posture, ouch, ouch, ouch. Well, until what happens is nature and in our own psychology, we're going to keep bringing in the same experience until we learn from it until we decide to do it differently, right? You know, the, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different outcome, right? Right. So, so if you just back up and, and decide to be, look at your life more objectively, nobody's doing anything to you ever. They are literally doing the best that they can in that moment with the information they're, they're, they've been given. That doesn't mean they're right, but it doesn't mean they're right. It just means you have a different view. So if, if you have an event that happens to 10 people, you're going to get 10 different points of view of that event. Right. So, so the whole point is just to kind of lessen the grip of it's happening to me and shift and say, wait a minute, why is this happening to me? I'm being shown something here or it wouldn't be happening. Right. You and I wouldn't be talking right now if it really wasn't supposed to happen from a universal perspective. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like Lisa too, I mean, with that experience, because I know there's probably definitely people listening who have dealt with traumas or are dealing with traumas or know somebody who is like, what would be your best recommendation based on what you've been through like, in your own perspective? What is something that sort of helped you navigate past that point? Well, you know what? And I think, I don't know how it feels to you to say this, but my generation, I'm 60. So I was born in 1960 and I was in that generation of women don't ask for help. And if you ask for help, you're selfish. So hopefully we've changed that message a little bit. But the truth is there's, there's something, there's a book called The Go-Giver, which is a great parable if people have heard that. That's just a great understanding that basically give more and you'll receive. So it's a law of reciprocity, right? So if you're really hurting, you need to let people help you because they are projecting themselves into your situation. If your parent has just died and your friends want to help you and they're sad, it's not only because they, they feel sad for you, but they're sad for themselves because they see themselves in you. Mm. Okay. So it's very, and this is things that we aren't really taught, right? This is not a conversation that we've really had in our culture because we've just avoided death in general. And so we, it's just so shushed and quiet. So, but it's really important to let people come in and help you. And if you're on the other side and you're the person wanting to help, just show up, just do for them what you, you know, you can try to do what they need, but there's really not much you can do. You can bring food and flowers, but really it's about staying in touch over time because when someone dies, most people go back to their regular lives six, about six or eight weeks afterward. And that person's left on their own. 
Mm. And in my case for 9-11, it was about a year until the first anniversary and then everybody kind of disappeared. But it also needs to happen. People, you need it to happen so that you can ultimately work your way through the window of grief, which just takes time. There's no getting around it or through it medicating it, you know, you're still going to wake up and it's going to be waiting for you. So my suggestion is just live in the moment and let it flow. Let be where you are. Try not to judge yourself. No shooting on yourself. As we say, there is no shooting on yourself. You know, <laughs> I should be doing this. I should be doing that. No, you know, respect the process. And, you know, as far as a, a friend watching, just, just be thoughtful. Just remember, just go show up for them. And I was literally showered. My kids and I were showered from around the world Pam, for like years. And I still get it with the anniversary coming. I will still get an influx of love from people um, because it happened to everybody. 9-11 was the first collective trauma we've really ever had. And we, as, as United States, were nestled between two huge oceans and two benign neighbors. And we thought we were safe. We were also adolescents. So one of my theories and one of my little quips I've come up with is national adolescent. We are nationally young. Mm. And you guys, okay, sorry to say this, and please don't blame all the boomers. It was happening a lot long, long before us, but it is your next part of life to plan. So how can we take, this is my call to you guys, how can we take the next, the last 20 years, pivot them and look at them differently and objectively and see it from the other person's point of view. And we can do it with 9-11 if you want to. Right. Because look how we went into the Middle East. Were we always asking? Hmm. Mm. Was it really mag? Was it, I think in the 60s and in when JFK was elected and people, they really wanted to bring democracy to underprivileged countries. And there was really genuine heart-centered love there. There was a real genuine motivation there. 20 years later, 40 years later, maybe not so much. Maybe it's more about oil. Maybe it's more about money. Maybe it's more about airfields. And maybe, maybe we didn't ask enough questions. So right. I'm not saying it was, in, it was the right thing to do, but I'm saying maybe we need to look at our own behavior. Right, right. No, that makes absolute sense. Oh my goodness. I mean, when you say collective trauma too, just for anybody listening who's not familiar with the term, like, do you have your own definition? On, on the collective? Uh, something that affects everyone. Mm. So, so COVID. All right. So let's talk about the two we have, right? We have 9-11 and 9-11 is fascinating. And I'll tell you why. 9-11 happened with literally the metaphoric minutes of the advent of the internet and 24-hour cable news. Mm. Now, 24-hour cable news, you cannot have a dark screen. You have to have a story running, which is when the manipulation and the manufacturing of information, I'm not saying fake news or any of that stuff. I'm just saying they, they had to dig deeper and deeper into stories and find more and more quote unquote experts, but were they really experts or were they 20 degrees removed from the real experts, but they were available for the interview, but they had a title kind of thing. So 9-11 happens eight years after the advent of the internet in 93, 80 countries lost someone in those attacks in the Pentagon. And we never talk enough about the Pentagon or Shanksville. You know, Shanksville never made its, made its destination. They brought that, that plane down, the passengers. And I mean, uh, there's a book called Let's Roll by a woman named Lisa Beamer. And her husband was Todd Beamer and he led the charge and they have it all on recording. Ooh, I'm getting chills from this. Oh. Anyway, that's an amazing story of, of courage and bravery and patriotism, just fantastic. But the World Trade Center is what happened is 
we all had an hour from the when the first plane hit in five of nine to when the buildings fell at 1030 to turn on our TVs and watch those buildings fall in real time. Just think about that. This isn't watching a diehard movie on TV. This isn't watching anything from Hollywood. This is real life. It can never happen again. You will, we will never be that naive again. We don't have, have, no, there's no icons like that in the world. You know, there might be others, but it'll always be the next one, not the first one. So the shock of that happening that we all watched in real time made it very personal for all of us. Mm. So the collective trauma of 9-11 as the collective trauma of COVID is, it happened to each of us personally. Right. And that's why it's more than a news story. You may have just seen the skyline with the, with the Twin Towers to know that they're not there anymore. Even that kind of connection, if you ever went to New York and many people always you know, visited those buildings for years, you just stood next to them and saw how enormous they were. They were overwhelmingly majestic. They were wonderful. But you know, if you even touched them, you felt it. So that's my point is when something is personal, it's not a news story anymore. Right. And that's where, and then the idea that it, it opened our world because with 9-11, the internet and 24-hour news, it became a feeding frenzy of information and it lasted for years. Wow. Wow, I didn't realize the connection there. I didn't realize that cable news went 24 hours at that point. It started with the Gulf War in 1991. We have to remember how long it takes for things to shift in society. Mm. You know, it's the slowest moving, like education is everything's 30 years. And one of the things that's really a parallel that, that works for me and, and hopefully it'll work for you and your listeners is think of it as if you think of it as a birth canal to a new and better order, let's say better, we're going forward in a good way. Okay. This is not the end. We are just getting started. If you look at the AIDS crisis in the eighties, it literally brought everyone out of the closet, not just gay people. It brought all their families out. It brought it out, out of hiding to into a conversation so that in 2014, society shifted enough that we could have gay rights, but it started there. And we, as a culture, we haven't, I'm sure there's tons of studies out there, but there's so much noise and there's so much competition for our attention. And we can only hear in sound bites anymore that how do we get that information that's very soothing and understandable out into the population so that we know we have a bright future. And I have all my money on you guys, because let me tell you something, my generation to yours, my daughter's just a couple of years younger than you. We went from being raised as children who were to be seen and not heard in an adult world mm. to a complete flip where my husband Teddy said of my daughter, Jen, when she was about two, oh my gosh, we're just working at the castle for the princess. Right. Wow. Right. So, so parenting did a complete role reversal. And so as a result, you guys have been fed in hopefully the ways that you feel so loved, that you feel cared for, that you feel supported in a comp more complicated world for sure. But with that confidence, I see, I want to add that my call to action for you guys is what do you want the next 20 years to look like? It's in your game. You guys are right poised and ready to take it. So, because the world right now is spinning. And we can, when, as soon as you decide, like you can move forward and how do you do that? I would ask that to you and to your listeners, what can be done today? Who can you, who do you like that you're listening to or hearing or reading that you want to continue and push that conversation forward? 
Absolutely. I love that. I love that. And yeah, I mean, we didn't even think about the two collective traumas that have ensued and then all these different perspectives on it. And, and question for you, Lisa, like what has been something that has inspired you or sort of led you into your spirituality? Because this is very mm. deep, deep insight. And it's like, where did it originate from? Everyone has that awakening moment, right? I think so. Well, actually, I think you guys were all born awake, actually. I believe that anybody born after 1990 actually was born into a different energy of which you are more sensitive. Mm. So your bodies are more sensitive, right? We didn't even know what gluten allergies were. I mean, people could be celiac, but that was a very rare thing. And it came along with diabetes. And it was just a strange medical condition. Now, kids are dairy intolerant. And yes, I'm sure there's more toxins, toxins in the system, but it's also, you guys are more sensitive. You're also more emotionally sensitive. You're yeah. also more empathetic. You re- you feel each other. I've always felt, but I was different in my world. I really, really didn't fit in my own family, in the world at all. And not a good place to be. I'm very happy that you guys now as your collective can say, wait, this is who we are now. And yeah, that really hurt. And let me tell you why right. and not be shamed for it. But my wake up call came basically about 11 o'clock in the morning on 9-11. I mean, I was being guided from the minute I got off the couch with my boys who were little. I just brought my daughter to school a little late. She hadn't been feeling well. And a friend called to tell me that he asked me what tower my husband was working in. And I said, the one with the antenna on it. Why? And she said, well, turn on the TV because a plane just hit it and took off the top 15 floors. Well, you and I both know that's not correct information. She didn't ask me what floor he was on because what she had just told me is that he was dead on the ground because he was on 105, two, two stories from the top. So that began, began, in my experience, the first wave of continued misinformation and why we really need to turn the TV off. We mm-hmm. need to disconnect from me. We need to disconnect from the news media. Because one of the things that's really important to know, and I was in the radio business in New York for 15 years, it is not a community service. It is about ratings and ratings are about money. And there's nothing that sells better than fear. Mm. So 20 years of the spin that happened. So there was an emotional, in my opinion, there was an emotional centrifugal force that started to spin and spin and spin and spin when those buildings fell as we watched them and started to collectively freak out. And that freak out looked like a chicken running around with its head cut off, like darting and jerking in frenetic circles. And then what I saw in my mind's eye was a stagecoach barreling down a mountainside because the driver had let go of the reins. And it felt like everybody just let go of the reins and still have let go of the reins. We still never picked them up. We're still spinning. And so we're in that spin. And so what happened in that spin is wherever we were broken as a family, as an individual, as a business, as a culture, we broke further. Meaning... If you drank, you drank more. If you gambled, you gambled more. If you had you know, extramarital affairs, you had more. If you shopped more. If you were on the Wall Street, you lent more money. So don't be surprised that 2008 the housing market brought us down because that was all part of that collective spin. Wow. So where we are now, 20 years later, when it actually matters, is we have to just understand where we are so that then we can start untwisting the knot. But, and you, and that's why I'm so excited to talk to you, Pam, because you go, oh my gosh, you guys are, you guys are the future. You can do this. Thank you so much. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's crazy to see different perspectives on what actually happened because I was so young. 
at the time. Yes. I remember, I was just, I, I think it was fifth grade for me. You were like nine. Yeah. yeah, we didn't really understand what happened, you know? And right. I just like remember watching those t- towers fall and I was just like, I couldn't turn off the news because I wanted to know if people were okay what happened, who caused this and like all this like question. And I just remember just feeling this dark energy for days, you know, yeah. nobody was doing, everything kind of paused and stopped what they were doing. And it just, the world fell silent Yeah, that whole week, even after. Yeah. And that's, and you know what, and Boston to Washington was in what you, know, you guys, we were all in the epicenter Yeah, because the planes left Boston and Washington was involved and, you know, Newark and New York, obviously. So between those, that population, there's 50 million people in that population, all of which had, or were one or two degrees removed from someone who died. It was very, very impactful for, a, on a very personal level. But the question to you and to your friends is how did people handle it around you? What did the adults do? Right. I mean, honestly, the adults just didn't know what to say around me. They were just, you know, watching the news and praying. That was it. That's watching. That's the- about all we had. Yeah. That's all we could do nobody could say anything teachers couldn't even comment they would just cry and they would just you know like you don't even know anybody and you know if they didn't know anybody it was just like this sadness that couldn't be replaced and it went on for weeks weeks and I remember being a kid and years months yeah remember that and feeling that that darkness it took months you know even as you know middle school kids to sort of pick up and the teachers to kind of be like you know the headlines weren't going away and all that. But after a couple of months, it sort of started to simmer just a tiny bit, but still as a nation, it's just like everyone rose up more than ever. That's when you started seeing all like all the different foundations start to pop up and different things happening, you know? So yes, yes. Was, yeah. You know, so the trauma response we saw was just like a unification. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable patriotism it lasted for like two years. And then it's, we sealed over. So the theory being that, you know, humanity, the fight, flight and freeze reflex, the amygdala, right. That protects us when we're scared has been on over hyperactive drive since nine 11 and it never has been quieted. Right. So it was great for two years while we all were helping each other. And there was this beautiful love energy that all the social walls came down and we were all equals and very unified and patriotic. And it was beautiful but we didn't learn and we didn't treat it. We didn't really stop long enough to study what was going on. We were just still reacting. And, you know, so one of the two, two questions prompted the book that I wrote and the two that would follow. I'm not sure I'll get to them, but certainly the first one. And the one is why were we so emotionally unprepared to handle 9-11 as a culture? Mm. Where was all the wise counsel to get us through it? Mm. And the answer is 20 years later, we're still in that those two questions. And that's what my, my challenge, if you will, for lack of a better word, and my call to action for you guys is what do you want to do with that? And if you understand that life is a, a balance of three things, the mind, body, and spirit. In our American culture, we have, just as an analogy, when high school seniors are getting 1600s, on their SATs and 4.0s and being tutored for better A's, but they still can't get into the college of their choice. Have we not maximized academics? Mm. Right? When, when Olympians and professional athletes have to take steroids to compete, have we not super served physical fitness? That I ask you this, what have we done with the emotional leg? Nothing, literally. A little religion here or there, but really nothing. So we tipped over. So here's the leg, here's the stool. We just tipped over. So here's your call to action. Do you want to write the stool? 
do you want to set it up right again? Because there is an unbelievable opportunity in the right brain, in, in the intuitive, sensory, creative center that we have not even tapped in yet. And what I believe is the gross domestic product of the United States is innovation. Yes. What if we decide to make that our innovation? Because the other side of this, which is kind of problematic, is we've got tech running full speed ahead. And as humans, are we even close to catching up to that in our humanity? And so I would like to ask again, because you guys are the, you're where it is. Why AI? Why are we developing all this? Not that it's wrong. Just tell me why. And it can't be because we can. That's not the right answer. (laughs) Right. It's it's really more so for business efficiency and automation and convenience, really. I mean, that's the only reason why it's, why it's happening. You know, well, it is, but we're also eliminating jobs because the average person isn't smart enough to do the STEM program. You know, you can't just do science, technology, engineering, math, half of the population, you know, and, and what's amazing is the mind that's taking us there is a very special mind. If you look at the Asperger's factors and the autistic factors of Silicon Valley, I would bet 80%, maybe 50 or more percent is on the spectrum at some level. Wow. Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Jeff Bezos, all of them are Asperger's. Wow. Which is high functioning autism, which is fine. I mean, I'm all about, I love star. I mean, the sci-fi, it's the best, but the point is that it's a different mind. It's not a mind that's saying it's not a heart centered mind. It's a mind that can get us into outer space, which is extremely cool. And I love more than anything, but we have to stay in that balance. And that's the only reason I ask that. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, these are, these are questions for our future, for sure. Like, why are we doing what we do? You know, is this intentional? Become aware of our conscious decisions without a doubt. And I mean, what are some of your recommendations and like from your books, you know, for example, and you touched a little bit on book one and can you give us a little bit of insight on book two? Well, book two kind of is just the more esoteric. So it's the macro. So I've given you a lot of it. I've given it in the national adolescence. I've given Ah. a lot of it in the three-legged stool. I've given a lot of it in just the idea of shifting perspective. Yes. In, so, so if we want to go forward, if, and again, for you guys for the next 20 years, and it's going to be in, you know, what's 10 years look like, what's 20 years, because 20 years from now, it, this place is going to be pretty unrecognizable. And you have a choice right now to slow it down for a minute and have these conclaves of thought, thought leadership. What do you want your world to look like? Right. You know, didn't know it. I thought everybody was, I'm a visionary thinker. I see bigger pictures. A lot of us do. So, so put all that together and form what you want because then you just have to manifest it, right? Then that's where the energy comes in and the shift into the universe and part of that awakening. So my company is called Cosmina Enlightened Living and Cosmina is a made up word now meaning kindness. There's a long backstory, but when I named it in 2007, I was like enlightened, enlightened. Does anybody even know what I'm talking about? And now it's exactly the right name because it was always the right name because wow. it's all about enlightenment. That's incredible. Everything that you're talking about is absolutely brilliant. We can shift our own paradigm and that's for sure. And that is what you're saying through both of these books, which is super exciting, super, super exciting. So I appreciate that insight big time. Well, and I love that you said that because that's, that's so, so when we talk about what are action steps or, you know, I'm calling it a call to action is, you know, just if we each changed a little something, If you decide to look back on that fight you had with your parents or that office situation that didn't go well or that went well, take it from the positive. Why did it go well? What happened in that exchange? What did you do differently that time that you've not done before that worked? 
you know, so it's not always negative. It can just, in other words, shift what I love to call it is go to the 10,000 foot view and look down without emotion with, and just see it as that strategy. See it, it's fun. It's like a strategic game when you get all of that drama out of the way, because that's what we're really here to do. We're here playing a game as, you know, in this contrast of the third dimension on planet earth, which is super trippy. And our next conversation can be all about that, but it is, it's really fun. I mean, I do believe we have a brilliant future and I really believe in you guys because we listen to you. That's the interesting part about the parents of today. Our parents, my mother's 86 and she says of my brother and I in our sixties, but you're the kids. Like we don't know anything. <laughs> and now because of technology, you guys trump us. And then some, you we're asking you to help us. So a humility, when I, one of the things out of our generation, your parents' generation, maybe not yours specifically, but many of us, I always introduce myself and I should have beginning with this conversation as a recovering know-it-all because that was our training that we know everything. And the answer is we definitely don't, but we're all willing to learn. So that's incredible, Lisa. And you know, one question that, that I always mention, and I always ask all my guests is, you know, what would your older self tell your younger self based on what you know now? Probably very cliche. And I I would think a lot of people answer this and that is to just lighten up and not take it so seriously that it is a game that we're, you know, that this is a gift to be here. I beat the heck out of myself for forever. I'll say, and, and still do. Those grooves are deeply, deeply instilled, but yeah, be nice to yourself, but don't be selfish. You know, like, like there is a point in which humility and gratitude and, and, you know, think of the other person's point of view. And if, if I wish I had known about self-awareness, I wish I'd known about introspection. I wish I had known just about what I was given inherently on the planet that was so misunderstood was in fact, emotional intelligence. Right. Becoming self-aware. Mm-hmm. your emotions. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and now Lisa, what are you working on now in your world? What's, what's next? I do think I'm going to just take the show on the road for the summer in what, you know, just kind of working up to the 20th anniversary and, and just talking about the book, because the book is really about, it's called the light in nine 11 shocked by kindness, healed by love. And it's a memoir, but I wrote it so that people could connect with me because, so I'm giving you my story and, and I'm actually sugarcoating it. But what I've learned, heard from many people is I just felt like you were talking to me the whole time and I could just relate to all of it. And it'll really help explain your parents. Cause it's, you know, somebody in my generation, but mostly because it's about healing from trauma. It's about choosing being the operative word, to see the silver lining in your experiences, which is what we're kind of talking about here, because it's not always bad, right? It may not be at the same weight, right? Like, so the kind, so I had this, my country was attacked. My husband was dead. All of his friends were dead. Many friends of mine, you know, I could easily have been tipping into the abyss, but I had the kindness of strangers keeping me from dropping off the edge. Mm. Okay. So it's not necessarily as big as the trauma, but there's this, there are these silver linings, right? There are these glimpses of hope. There's these, these magnificent, what are the words? Just these magnificent gifts or these magnificent magical moments that save us. We just have to be open to receiving them. And then the kindness of strangers, which is always there. And, and I'll leave with this thought in that I would call that the godness of a situation. It's the goodness with one less O. And so that was my experience in the years, in the months that followed 9-11. I just got a lot of godness. It was good. That's amazing. Lisa, thank you so, so much. I, I appreciate that. I, I can't believe it's been 20 years, almost mm. 20 years since 9-11. That blows my mind. 
Well, I feel, I don't, you know, it's interesting too. We as adults can't understand your life because I had 40 years before 9-11 and technology and all of that. So I have a you know, foot more in that camp than this one. And you've only grown up in a post 9-11 world, even though you were in middle school. Like, do you remember a lot before that? Yeah, surprisingly so. Yeah. Yeah. The okay, world good. Different. Yeah. Just, just always been ever shifting. I feel like for, for my generation, it's just always been change happening all the time. Right. I think that's right. why we're so adaptive and, you know, why we're easy to do like, you know, oh, let's do a side hustle. Let's do this. Let's, you know, like just a lot more adaptable, if you will. Yeah. Um, Entrepreneurial spirit. Yes. There's a lot of, well, and that's our, that's our country. We are entrepreneurs. This is a beautiful part of our, our national humanity. And that's a, that's exciting. And and I thrilled that you guys have that and that you've been allowed to be who you are. One of the things that's really beautiful about your generation and the Gen Zers and everybody behind them is that you've been able to grow into who you are instead of what your parents wanted you to be. And we just planted you in this ground and we watered and fed you and gave you some sun and you grew up into who you are. We weren't judging you. We didn't say you had to be a doctor, a lawyer, you know, you can be an artist. You, you can exercise your sexuality. You can do whatever you, we just want you to feel loved and to have good lives. And that's genuine. Right. No, it's, it's so interesting to see the, the intergenerational differences, you know, for sure. Personality wise, growing up societal standards everything's super different but it's it's fascinating stuff absolutely fascinating. it is something we could talk about for hours and hours but i've kept you a long time already so oh, oh you're a rock star you're a rock star i just want everyone to be able to find you and your awesomeness and how to contact you yeah so pretty easy lisaluckett.com that's where the book overview is my bio is there you can get me on email lisa at lisa luckett and it's spelled L-U-C-K-E-T-T.com. Thank you so much, Lisa, for being here today. You are a total rock star. I love your wisdom and your insight. Thank you so, so much. The only dream that I've been chasing is my own. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to win a private VIP day with Pamela herself in Boston, Massachusetts. Be sure to go to theunderdogshow.com and pick up a copy of Pamela's free gift and join us on the next episode. Oh,